Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. This is an unspoiled network podcast. This is Spoil Me, covering Young Wizards, Wizards at War, Chapter 13. Strategic Withdrawal is the name of the chapter. I was instructed to not read the entire chapter, so for those who are following along, I stopped at They Stepped Forward and Vanished. Welcome to Spoil Me. Welcome to the show, everyone. I am Natasha. Thank you very much to Yama for commissioning this episode. Yama is here in the chat. What's up, girl? And um, thank you very much to Jacob, who made the spreadsheet for what spots I should end at. Jacob actually updated the spreadsheet for the new date when I had to postpone this episode. And I just can't get over that, like, attention to detail, Jacob. Wow, you're really on it. So thank you for that. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so this section, it's it's kind of funny to me that... There's so much going on here. And after having, I think I didn't cover like the last episode since what, October? When was the last one? It might have been more recent than that. Let me look. No, December 28th. So that was actually like not that long ago. It feels like longer. Um, There is so much that I had forgotten about like the the way that things had shaken out. I have the beginning of the book really firmly in mind. And then I had sort of forgotten about this like youngster rebel who shows up and is like, I don't know, shit just didn't seem right to me. That's all I'm saying. And when I went back into it, I tried to like back up a little bit and re-listen to the end of this. Um, but I... I remember now that I like had sort of made a comparison between her and maybe like Mary Magdalene. And I'm curious about whether or not that's going to continue to like be a thing that I, that if I'm going to continue to make that comparison, because as of right now, I'm sort of thinking that I was full of shit. So, you know, we'll see. I'm just got my eye on it because I forgot about having like that sort of connection that I was making. 
Um, Yamaha says, I don't know how many more episodes we need to end this book. Haven't had any luck with open spots. Um, it looks like the there's going to be th- uh, two more episodes. There's one booked for the 25th already. And then it will require two more episodes to finish up. One for chapter 14. And uh, I think I'm supposed to start stop part way through 14, according to this, but it doesn't say where exactly. And then the finishing of 14 and 15. So two more episodes in total on top of what is booked already. Um, but yeah, spots are hard to get. I'm sorry, everybody. So this section opens up with Dereen and this whole thing here, I'm going to go back to right before the chapter begins and where we ended. Um, Nita's presence has become vital. Whatever she went back to earth to obtain, we've got to have it here very soon or fail. Doreen got goosebumps and she wasn't sure what she was going back for. True. Let's hope that she has it when she arrives. Otherwise, all this will have been for nothing. And Spot went silent. And Doreen said, hugging him a little closer. If she doesn't have whatever it is, Spot said, then there is no and. Word? I had forgotten shit ended that dire. Now, I'm assuming what it is that Nita went back for. Well, you know what? I was gonna say that it's Carmela. Is it? But I'm now I'm like, mm, maybe I'm wrong about that. Because like, yeah, I guess Carmela did get brought by Nita. I guess she wouldn't know exactly where they are on this planet. Um, because they have like specifically kept this whole part of their mission hidden as much as they can. So yeah, I guess she would have had to meet her at the crossroads, um, in order to wind up united with the rest of the group. So, all right. Yeah. I think I'm going to stick with Carmela as my like theory on that. So this starts out as Doreen vanished into her pup tent, Kit watched with considerable relief. Doreen could get difficult to deal with when Nita wasn't around to stomp on her. And just where are you, he thought, glancing at the walls of the cavern, as if Nita might suddenly step through one of them. So, in this section, we have Ponch and Kit. They have a little chat back and forth, and then Kit winds up being connected um, to... I'm forgetting her name. What's the name of our our new bug friend? Um, and he is able to like l- listen in Mimeki, listen in on their conversation without either of them actually having to speak to him in a way that like I'm certain Ponch is aware of, but initially I was like, is he just eavesdropping or does he have permission for this? I'm assuming that if he wanted to, Ponch could keep him out of this, but he's not because he he needs to be part of it, you know? Um, Yamasa is just to make her brother mad. I swear to God, guys, Carmela in this section is so funny. I... You guys know that when she first was like irritated that they weren't including her, I was very much on their side. I just, just, it, it's not for you. Not everything has to be. It's fine. And now that she is being included, one, all right, I guess I learned my lesson. And two, I really do enjoy her so much as like an 
addition of sassiness that I feel like was actually pretty badly needed now that I think about the dynamic of the group. Like, we, when you think about the sorts of personalities that you want in a crew of characters, you need somebody who is more serious. You need somebody who's a little bit reckless. You need somebody who is um, like sardonic and maybe a bit jaded. You need somebody who is funny and comic relief. Those are like a lot of the, the sort of archetypes that we have gotten used to in anything that has a sort of like ensemble cast. And I guess like... Ronan probably serves as a, as a sardonic, you know, jaded one. Um, the one who's a little bit more impulsive is and and reckless maybe is that's Darien, right? I feel like Kit and Nita are pretty similar in their overall vibe, so that's the one place where I'm sort of running into problems making this comparison because they both feel kind of serious. Um, they they tend to like agree with one another's dis- decisions and methodologies most of the time. They're, the times when they don't agree, the fact that they don't agree has been like a major part of the plot because it is so unusual, it seems like, for them to not see eye to eye on something that that winds up being the story. Um, so yeah, I think I'm going to put them together as like a kind of joint serious thing going on. And then we've got an unintentional comic relief coming from Roshan, which I, I say unintentional because he's just, he was such a fucking bitch up until so recently. And now a lot of like his sort of not really knowing what is appropriate or like, at one point in this section, Kit uses an idiom and he's like, wait, it was sweet. What does that mean? That is like, it's cute. It's not actually super funny, though. It's like an unintentional thing because he doesn't get it. A fish out of water sort of thing. They're all fish out of water on this planet, but like he with the group, you know. Um, but this has got me sort of thinking about the fact that like this doesn't usually work as an ensemble cast. We don't have that in these stories that often. When we do, it's like a crew that gets assembled eventually, and they don't necessarily spend all that much time with each other. Like um, when they were doing their underwater mission, and they were with a bunch of like whales and sharks and things that was like, these were not people that they spent so much time around that I felt like we got to know them super well. Um, and even when we were in Ireland and we were, you know, fighting in a pretty big group of wizards, same thing. We got like a, a pretty surface sort of introduction to a lot of them. The one that we really got to know was Ronan and her grandma, right? Or her aunt, was it? And even her didn't get to know her that, that well. So this is sort of a new thing for this author. And... I just think it's really interesting about the choice to include Carmela when she isn't a wizard. And I'm really wondering what I'm wondering so many things about the choice to do this. I'm wondering whether or not this is going to continue to be inclusion of a non wizard, or if Carmela is going to get wizardry unexpectedly. I mean, Kit himself has been like, it's way too old. Like, 
it's it's too late in her life for her to suddenly discover powers. And as far as we know, that is true. But as we are all aware, we do not know everything. And shit happens not according to the usual plan a lot. And in these books, fucking anything can go. As to how I feel about it, I kind of hope she doesn't. Not to say that I wouldn't enjoy Carmela with powers, because I'd be very fascinated to see what she decided to do with them. But what's tough, I think, about the wizardry aspect of these stories is that if you have it, there are so many rules and restrictions around the the ethics of using it that I feel like it might be kind of hard to have a character like Carmela who can be so over the top, so extra. She's a girl after my own heart, obviously. Giving her access to this kind of like power and she does like, what can you have her do with it that doesn't feel a little irresponsible? Like, it's not as if Cat, uh, Kit, I kept keep wanting to call him Cat. Kit and Nita don't do their occasional like fun thing with their magic. I mean, she just like opens her fridge and asks for his fridge to be there, kind of thing. That's fun, and that's not super necessary. But also, she has to sort of like talk the appliances into working with her on this because they're a little annoyed by it, and with Carmela. I guess, like, what you could do with that is make... Because Carmela is nothing, if not persuasive. With Like, she's just charming. Everybody seems to like her. So I guess you could have her be somebody that manages to, like, just talk things into cooperating when it wouldn't ordinarily do so, you know? I'm not mad at that. That would be kind of interesting, actually. Um, or when it might just, like, give a little bit of a problem about it, she could find a way to, like, I don't know flatter or like who knows i'm just i feel like putting the the restrictions on wizardry that this author has i understand the reasoning for it and i think it's like a smart thing and in world it really makes sense considering what wizardry can potentially do but it makes it so that everybody has to view things with a similar amount of of seriousness and what's the word i really want like a gravitas that can sort of make their personalities feel like they fall back. And you don't want to have that happen with somebody like Carmela. So I could see it being possible. But I feel like Carmela is a little bit more fun as a non-wizard who isn't restricted by those sorts of ethics specifically, you know? And even in the speech, you can't lie in the speech so she is sort of being held to something because of the fact that she's using the speech to communicate at all. Um, I don't know. I just, I, I keep thinking about this. So anyway, we go uh, to Ponch talking about the fact that he was um, trying to make Memeki feel better. And he says, it felt like something wrong had happened to her. I wanted to make her feel better. I thought maybe if she went for a walk with me, I could take her away from the bad thing that made her sad, but it's still inside her. And I just love Ponch, guys. Oh my God. He's such a good boy. He's trying so hard. Like he has the best intentions. 
So you were saying about the things you couldn't talk about. I was, Kit thought. No, I wasn't. And another voice spoke, both seemingly at a distance and very close. There is a story that every Yalda knows for a short while, it said, when she's very new. But knowing the story makes no difference. The ones who know it die anyway, and speaking it means you die sooner. The wise thing is to forget. So this is wild. Um, A whole other version of, I guess, like the, the creation story is meant to be like, it's it's the combo creation story and like choice story, right? Because I feel like the other choice stories we've heard, I don't feel like they go back as far. These feel like more the, you know, God created the earth in seven days has been tied into these in a way that I feel like in the last book when they're talking about things, that's not the creation of the planet isn't really talked about the same way. It's all about the choice. So Kit had fallen asleep and he is able to hear Poncha's conversation. And this is when I was just sort of like, is he supposed to be here? Like, I felt like uh, he was intruding a little bit, but I wasn't sure, you know. Um, he lay very still, doing nothing to disturb this state in which he could hear what the dog heard, scent what he scented. Right now, Poncha's world smelled of warm stone, mineral flake grit, somewhat sweaty or otherwise ripe-smelling humans, various foodstuffs and food wrappings, and the unique scent of a Yaldive. It was like a more refined version of the crude oil scent he'd followed here, a hot plastic sort of smell, shifting slightly from moment to moment with the emotions of the one who spoke. And she says that, like, it, what happened so long ago doesn't matter anymore, and He's asking, Ponch is asking, well, what way were things a long time ago? Her voice went low, as if even here she was afraid she might be overheard. When we're very young, Mamiki said, the blood inside us speaks for a while. It says that once there wasn't a city or even a little hive, once the world was big enough for everyone to walk wherever they wanted, and there wasn't just one king, there were many, and each king had just a few chosen ones. There was always enough to eat and not so much work to do, and there were no others. She briefly sounded confused. Or there were others who didn't want to kill us. I said it was a strange story. Then something happened, no one's sure what, but it's as if there was a bigger king who made everything to be built, the sky, the ground, the way our own king tells us how to build a nest and kill the enemy. There were some who built the everything that way, the story says. That other king was supposed to have shown them how. Then Yaldiv came to live in what that great one's servants had made. They lived there a long time, and then she stops, like... As she's telling the story, it's like she sort of realizes that this actually doesn't make sense, does it? And I really enjoy this aspect of it because there, this is something that you can watch happen with people sometimes. If they are already starting to get a sense of like, things that I have been told might be bullshit. 
And then you ask them to like share with you what it is they've been told or believe. If you get somebody at the right time and you get lucky, as they begin to talk, they themselves begin to put two and two together and go, oh, wait a second. And I kind of imagine that this is what therapists must like wait for, you know, because therapists, the whole point of them is for us to tell them what's like going on in our heads and our lives. And they very gently direct us in into certain like thought patterns or questions, but they are not actually supposed to tell us what to do, which is sort of like what Nita winds up running into later here with the choice. And we have to figure it out for ourselves or else it doesn't mean anything. You know, being told what to do, being told about your own patterns really explicitly when you haven't even started to put that shit together yourself, that's not actually helpful in the long term. And in some ways, it can like impede a person's progress because they fight back against what they're being told, because as far as they are concerned right now, it's not true. And so they wind up sort of in denial because it's a little too early to try and introduce that idea. But here, she's like exactly in the right place where as she's talking, she's like, hold up, wait, that that can't be right, you know? And I really like that. Um, Yama is saying, I think that Ponch wants to share with Kit to have a deeper and better connection with him. That's how I took it. Okay, I'm willing to accept that. Um, so that part of the story makes no sense. How could anybody build the sky? No one could reach it. It's got to be true what the archfotery says the king tells him, that the old stories are madness and death made real, a way for our enemies to to trick us. I know a story like that, Ponch said. I don't think it's a trick. You don't? If your story's like mine, then there's more to tell. Yes... It's as if, when everything's made, another great one appears, another king. That one went about saying he knew more things than the first great one, better ways to live. He said that having so many little kings was wrong, that there should only be one, himself. That would make warriors mightier, workers stronger, vessels more fruitful. The little kings and their consorts said they didn't want his way of living and started a war. It went on forever. But finally, the second great one realized they would never do what he wanted, so he made the sky catch fire. Small suns like Sek fell from the sky on the little kings and killed them and all their Yaldiv. But the story that your people tell each other now says something different. It says there never was any war before the uh, before the war of now. The only king that has ever been is our own great one. And when we win the war of now against the evil city, the world will be pure. I love this so much. He asks, do you want another biscuit? And Kit is like, wait a second. And he reaches out and the dog biscuit box that's like supposed to be laying next to him is no longer there anymore. I just really enjoy that Ponch has found a way to connect to Memeki with these biscuits because there is no surer way to like get somebody comfortable and talking to you than to feed them or give them drinks. Like, and I don't even mean like alcoholic. I just mean make somebody feel like they are in a cozy, safe place. And food is such a quick and easy and simple way to do that. 
And it gets people fucking chatting. Like, that's part of why the police will be like, can I get you anything to drink? You want a sandwich? Like, cops are hoping that you're just going to be like, oh, yeah, it's just like, you know, I'm not actually even talking to cops. I'm just talking to some dudes who are at this bar, you know, whatever. Um, so <laughs> what happens in your story? Is there a great war? Do suns fall from the sky? No, Ponch said. There's some singing. But mostly we eat. Your people's story is about food? Later, Punch said, yes, but it didn't start that way. And like, when I stop and think about it, it is kind of hilarious with our like whole, you know, the devil tempts Eve with an apple and then Eve tempts Adam. It is like just about food. I mean, it's not, but you know what I mean? Like, it's just kind of funny how incredibly simple it is, that whole idea um, so he says, I hadn't thought about this for a long while. You tend not to think about it. There's so much to keep you busy. Um, Kit asked me to tell him the story not long ago. It's not the kind of thing you ever think of them being concerned about. They're even busier than we are. I was so surprised. I told him the puppy version because I wasn't sure how he would take the other one. We love them, but humans can be strange sometimes. And I was like, oh, what is this? I am very excited. So basically, the story that that Ponch tells, um, when our parents, the first ones, realized who they were, they woke up and started singing to the light in the sky and heard others singing back. So they realized we were all singing the same song, which there's like, again, it's very like, poetic but you get what this is it's like a consciousness and other people who also have a consciousness um instead of staying alone the first ones started to run together in groups hunting for food together it was a hard time the world was full of things to eat but catching them was hard so eventually they get to a point where they're like really struggling to survive and then they run across some people and the people are like, well, you could help like us figure out how to live and then we could help you. And Ponch is like, you know, they they were getting by, but they were, you know, having the same kind of hard time that we were. And everybody was kind of like they weren't in unison about what to do with the situation. Some are like, we have to leave because if we're all competing for food, we aren't all going to be able to make it if we're in the same location, which does make some sense. There are some who are like, well, let's drive them out of here and we'll take this area and then we'll at least have enough for ourselves. And then I love this. Some said, let's eat them and solve both problems. And I was like, I can't lie. I get it. <laughs> you know, like, I get it. I, I if dogs all decided, you know what, we're just gonna eat you, actually, because this is just, you know, I, I can't even really be mad. But then when they found different ways to catch things to eat, and we saw them do it and cried because we were hungry, some of the humans did what the first ones thought was the strangest thing. They gave us some of what they caught. 
They started sharing the way we learned to share when we began hunting together. So we took them in into life as a pack and showed them other ways that it could be caring for pups and watching over one another and hunting in a group. And they learned fast. They took us in into life with another kind of creature and showed us how to learn their strange new ways, like how they made things with their clever paws. Um, we learned to drive the food into those extra teeth of theirs. He's talking about spears and stuff. And when we shared, and then we shared the kill with them. That became the bargain. We we promised we'd help our human packmates find food when they needed it. They helped us with food when we needed it. When the animals that hated our packmates got close to their dens, we shouted to warn them. Then they'd bring out the fire that scared those things away. We'd even sit together after the meal and sing at the light together. It was a good time. If your story is like ours, Memicky said, the good time ends. Yes and no, Ponch said. This is fascinating. We always heard voices when the light in the sky was full, the thing the humans call the moon. But there came a moon when all the first ones actually heard what the voices were saying. One sounded like the brightness of the moon, cold and small, sometimes louder and sometimes very faint and soft. It said, the time comes for you to choose a new path in which you may become more than you have been. Wisdom will come to you, and the power that will descend on you in that path is great. The one who made all hunters and all the hunted alike will dwell within you and among you in your own image. But to enter on that path, you must depart from your old comfortable certainties and walk the new way alone. And then a second voice spoke. It was more like the darkness of the moon, which is always all around it, trying to drown the brightness out. That voice said, Greatness indeed awaits you. But these naked apes, who in your folly you treat like your own kind, will either turn you into slaves, after the manner of prey with their proper predators, will come to fear your greatness and kill you, and if you do my bidding and kill them first, neither death nor pain will touch you, and this world will be yours forever. So your story has the killing as well, Memicky said. Almost. The first ones drew aside to consider, and when they'd sung the matter over together, to the voices they said, We've eaten the same meat as these creatures, and hunted in company with them. Though they're shaped differently, we're in pack with them. We'll do them no harm. Yet neither will we desert them, for without our companionship they might die. At this, the second voice laughed and said, Fools and weaklings, in repayment of your kindness, the ones you've spared will make you their slaves. They'll change your bodies and your nature at their whim until you no longer know yourselves. And since you've chosen to stay in pack with them, you'll suffer the fate they suffer, death and pain until time's end. And that voice faded away into darkness where it remains in the dark beyond the moon, always waiting its time. Yet when it was silent... Then the first voice spoke, still and small. It said, You've put your proper choice aside, but this you did in loyalty's name, and so in life's. For life's sake, therefore, some of its power will descend to you. In every generation will be whelped among you some of those able to sing the speech that every creature hears. But no power more will come to you, and no new life until you once more see before you the path you refused, 
and set out to walk it alone. And then that voice was silent, as though we'd sung to the silver of the moon from then till now. Um, oh, and though we'd sung to the silver of the moon from then till now, we haven't heard it again. We live and work and hunt with them as we did before, and we take care of them as we promised we would. They give us what we need, which was always their part of the bargain, so everything is fine. And when she's like, so then why do you still sing to the light? He says, I don't know. It's a habit. So this is really great to me because this is something that I think a lot of us struggle with. Um, and I'm going to break this down into like the sort of, of when I say a lot of us struggle with, I think that this is, this applies just as much to something as simple as the food chain. Some animals seem to have more consciousness than other animals. There's a reason that there are a lot of people who are like pescatarians. They're willing to eat fish, but they aren't willing to eat like mammals, mostly. And, you know, like I can't deny, as somebody who eats everything, that there are some animals that just seem to be, it's not even more intelligent. It's, that's not like, it's, that feels too simple. It just feels like they are more conscious. That is not to say I won't still eat them, but I completely understand why there are certainly people who have trouble doing it and feel like, I don't know, guys, it's not really right. You know, is it right I don't even know what that word means, like in respect to something like this, you know, to me, I'm fine with it. But, you know, there's a reason why some of us like, do the whole well, how can you have a pet, and say that you care about animals, and then go out like, because a lot of people will sort of try and use it as a trump card that you have a pet at all and try and ask, well, what really is the difference between a cow or a pig and your dog, you know? And there isn't one. It's just the way that we are raised and sort of brainwashed to see animals. And if you work on a farm and you're around animals a lot, you will see like pigs are smarter than dogs. Pigs are really, really smart. It's like genuinely yeah, it's a thing. It's known. Um, however, they do not, as much as they may, these, like, a lot of animals seem to have more consciousness than others, they don't have the kind of consciousness that leads them to building, like, civilizations or anything. And it's always been sort of, like, a, a thing for me to wonder where that line gets drawn and why some animals move past it and others don't, you know, this is, and I say it's a thing for me and it's it's a thing for science. That's like a major part of the question of evolution is like, how did we get here? And other things haven't evolved in the same way. There are creatures alive that are barely any different than they were millions of years ago. They are basically the same creature practically as they ever were. And then there are beings like us that have moved forward and changed dramatically. And our our bodies are different. Our skeletal systems are so different. And why? Why did that happen with us and not others? And this whole explanation for dogs being given the chance 
to advance and become like, like evolutionarily, perhaps, really technologically advanced beings, eventually, if they were given the, the opportunity to. But they chose not to out of loyalty to us. That's a really good story. Like that feels really like it makes sense. It works for me in terms of like a legend that they would tell their pups. It works for me in terms of just the way that our relationships are with dogs as human beings now. And the whole idea of them being concerned that we couldn't make it without them. And so they just don't want to completely abandon us because they feel like we're partners together. It's it just completely feels right to me. You know, their concern in that way being what sort of gives them enough awareness that we connect with them the way that we do. And I'm going to say something that'll be controversial here. But the connection that a lot of us have to animals, I feel like it with dogs, it's different. And that is not to say you can't have an amazing connection with pets that are not dogs. I'm not saying that at all. As somebody who owns two cats, that's just absolutely not the case. But you guys know what I mean, where there is like this sort of, it's a, like we can speak with them to a point and feel like they're understanding us and there's even been boards made where there's buttons that have certain words associated and dogs are learning how to press them to say things to them and they have started to be able to like get that working with cats as well but they don't take to it because cats aren't really like that interested in communicating with us it's just they don't care cats are their own thing and they're fine with that and they're like yeah we like you fine and you pet us and you feed us and that's cool but like, that's it. And we're very happy with that. And we can just sort of leave it there and we'll be fine. And dogs, it feels like they want more. They are actively trying to connect with us more every day of their lives. You know what I, I mean? It just feels different with them, which is part of the reason why I have cats. Because I don't want a being depending on me that feels that aware of me all the time. It's too much. It's part of why I don't want to have kids. It's the same exact reflex keeping me from having kids that keeps me from getting a dog. Too much. It just feels like the kind of pressure would be very different. Do you know what I mean? So, and again, I know this is going to be controversial and there are so many people who are not going to agree with this and that's completely fine, but this is just my personal feeling on it. So, the idea that dogs are out here with the potential option to make a different choice eventually and, you know, move on beyond being a companion animal to us the way that they are so that they they evolve themselves in a way outside of the way that they have evolved with us breeding them. Because honestly, it's kind of fucked up. The lone power is not wrong in saying like, they'll make you their slaves and they'll change your minds for you and they'll change your bodies without, and you won't know who you are. Like low key, that's true. 
breeding programs are a whole thing that I don't even like to get into because I don't know enough about them to really speak on them with any amount of like knowledge and intelligence. But we do know that there are certain breeds of dogs that are actively unhealthy due to the kinds of like features that we've bred into them and that shortens their lives and makes their health worse. And it's just genuinely so sad to me that we've like done this and and we prize it. We charge more for it. Like, ew. Um, but, you know, like I said, the Lone Power wasn't lying to them about that. It's just that any deal that you make, there are going to be downsides to it. And there are going to be things about it that feel either unfair or just like you have to ask yourself, is it really worth it? And that's always the question. Is it worth it? And, you know, to go through the pain and the grief and whatever may come for the sake of this choice that I'm making. And the dogs evidently, like, I don't, it sounds like they will eventually be given the chance again, but it hasn't come yet. Um, let's see. No power more will come to you and no new life until once more you see before you the path you refused and set out to walk it alone. So they have to actively choose in a way that implies that they don't even see the path anymore. That when they set it aside, they pushed it out of their minds. And that one day they will come around again and sort of be like, wait, it could be different. What if we did this? Which sounds sort of like a little bit of what Mimiki is also going through. Um, so <laughs> this whole thing with Mimiki, she is really having a difficult time, like processing the idea that, and as anybody would, that the stories she's been told as an adult are not true. That probably what she thought as a baby is more correct. And um, she asks Kit about his life and what he does every day and the relationship that he has with Kit and what, you know, relationships other dogs have with people. And she is just blown away by how great this sounds. She says something about like how, um, Let's see, that's a life beyond lives that you're living. What a wonder to live in a world where there are next times and to do what you want to do, not always what someone else says you must. And at this point, Ponch invites her to like come live with them. And Kit is like, oh, God, that might not be a good idea. Oh, my goodness. He was going to have to defuse Ponch's idea as quickly as he could. Kit started to get up. Then he paused, for Memiki was saying, It sounds wonderful, but I can't leave here. This is my place. This is part of realizing that I'm an I. I'm here to do something. I must do it, as soon as I can work out what it is. But you give me a feeling that maybe things are not so terrible if somewhere the killing doesn't happen. Um, someone should do something. But why does it have to be you, Ponch said. He was sounding distressed now. You're good. What if you do something and then bad things happen to you? That wouldn't be fair. And this is really like a, a nice sort of 
split in terms of their experiences because this embodies part of why dogs have not chosen the path that will be potentially available to them. The fear of like, well, I don't know what's going to happen if we do that and things could go wrong and who knows how it would go. And so her decision to step down that path, which she hasn't quite made yet, as we find out later when she talks to Nita, isn't really computing for him. He doesn't get it. Why would you do that and risk yourself that way? And she says, it, though it's not fair, it might be right. Yo, that's a fucking whole sermon. <laughs> to be honest, like we as a species really tend to equate the words fair and the words right with one another. We just do think they're the same thing. And it has been quite a fucking process for me as a grown ass woman to begin to realize that what's fair and what's right are so often not the same thing actually. And it's hard to keep that in mind because I can still have a really childish sort of basic understanding of things. You know, I can still just be like, well, if they do it, then why can't those people do it? Or if I do it, then why can't he do it? And it's just shit doesn't like work in that kind of way. Most of the time, They're the kind of balance, when we say the word balance, we picture things being exactly even in a certain way that that we also think of when we think of the word fair. And that's just actually kind of like, it's a baby's idea of fair. It's a, it's like, it's just so basic, you know? So when she said that, I just like had a moment of just like, Jesus, that's fucking true. If no one ever does anything, nothing will ever get better. Sometimes when I was young, I would go outside the city with the other moltlings and in the forest, we would hear the trees crying. I always thought what the workers did to them was wrong. But the Great One said the city had to be bigger so there could be more warriors to fight the others and there was no way for the city to be bigger without the paper the workers made from the trees. Most Yaldiv didn't care about the trees one way or another, and though their weeping troubled me, I'd never have dared say what I thought because the warriors are always looking for anyone who says the wrong word. There's never enough meat and they get the first bite of any transgressor. Which truly, when she said it like that, I was like, Jesus. They basically like... Well, you know, there's not enough meat, so they'll eat us. And I was just, fuck, you know? Um, And as this begins to, like, take shape in her mind, she, you know, she's beginning talking about, like, the process of her growing and really wondering if she can push the envelope. Now that she's, like, an honored one, she's one of the chosen, like, king's concubines, essentially. And, like, untouchable, so she still thinks. Is she going to have the opportunity to maybe make a change? I was almost ready to speak. Then I turned around and saw Yaldiv in the tunnel who weren't Yaldiv, and the world went strange. So this, she, like, they go on in this vein in general for a while. But eventually, there's a tremor in the ground. And I genuinely thought maybe this was something happening power-wise with Memeki having some, like, revelations as she's talking to Ponch. No, sir. That is not it. 
It turns out the fucking Yaldiv have found them and are tunneling up to them from underneath, even though that shit is like solid rock. And this is supposed to be something that the one living inside Ronin has his eye on and keeps from happening. And it's the first instance we get of Ronin's like little guest, I guess really demonstrating that his power is beginning to fucking stutter a little bit because he does not notice this until it's like Kit already has figured it out because he's looking at the manual and the map and investigating a little bit more closely because some shit just does not feel right to him. So he's like ahead of one of these sort of godly beings in terms of knowing what the fuck is going on. And that made me so afraid. Like, I don't think I realized just how much I was depending on Ronan's guest to manage things for them. I knew that he couldn't do as much as I wanted him to be able to do. I knew that, you know, to a degree, the whole point of this thing is for them to do it themselves. And he can like, he can run point, but he isn't going to be able to really take any direct action himself. And I knew that. But still, he had power available, and even having that was reassuring. And now, even something as simple as making sure we're not going to be attacked is beyond him. And I hate it. I just hate it right now. So, um, did you, let's see, I'm trying to get to the spot because it takes a while before like Kit puts two and two together here, but I'm running out of time, so I really need to like get to the point. So, Let's see. Oh, this is when Roshan does this thing where he summons matter, basically like a tiny handful of the sun is the vibe that I get to attack the um, the Aldiv that are coming at them because they're coming in sort of waves and they think that there's only maybe five or six of them. And then it turns out that they're just sort of staggering their their um, approach so that some of them are still out of range when these people defend themselves so that they don't get hurt. And let's see. Okay. Uh, the next few Yaldiv to come up from the under immediately charged at Memaki with claws open. And this is when Kit expands his shield to protect her. And later on, Memaki is like, first of all, I can't believe that you actually protected me the way that you said you would. I kind of, to be honest, didn't think that would happen. But also, what the fuck? They are not supposed to be able to come at me. I'm untouchable. That's like the point of my position. And they were trying to kill me. And what is up with that? And I was just like, ah, newsflash, Memaki. They fucking know that you're a rebel. It's as simple as that. It was surprising to me that she's even asking the question, of course, they're trying to kill you. You're out here fraternizing with these people whom, even if the king didn't realize what they were actually doing here, he knew that they were fucking imposters. You know, even if they're working with faulty information, they know that you are talking to and sharing secrets with people who are not of your own kind. It's no question to me that would be enough for them. You know, she says something about how, like, if anybody says a wrong word, they make us into meat. Well, 
what this sounds like what you're talking about, girl. Why is this shocking to you? I don't know. I was just surprised at her being like really puzzled and shaken by this in a way that I thought she would have taken for granted that being caught here meant that they would try to kill her. Um, so this is when Nita and Carmela come through the portal and Kit is just like, Oh God, this is like the best possible time for them to turn up. But also this sucks. This is not what I want them to have to deal with the second they come in. Although he's thinking only about Nita because he hasn't realized that Carmela is here quite yet. That comes a little bit later. Um, so Nita, let's see, I'm trying to find the spot. Uh, between one breath and the next, it was as if a star had fallen into the crevasse. So this is what ends the battle. And then Kit is able to like take a moment and speak to Nita and Nita reconnects with Doreen as well in this moment that was so adorable because Doreen just basically like launches herself at her sister and tackles her. Um, and Kit's reaction to Carmela being here. It's described as like he is even more surprised than if the lone one himself just walked the fuck in right here. He is so floored. Just truly. I think it's like a combination of. This doesn't make sense, but also he says to himself, what did I do to deserve this? Kit, I'm going to need you to turn down the drama a little bit, sir. You are being hysterical. Your sister is not that bad. You know, like if his sister was the level of annoying that Roshan is, okay, fine. You could definitely be like, I don't want this. But Carmela is just a little annoying to you. Get over it. Get over it. Truly. Just get the fuck over it, dude. And I'm saying, like, she's a little annoying to him because that's how siblings are, right? They just, like, know the fucking buttons to push and how to get under your skin. So to a degree, that's just unavoidable. But also, everybody else likes her, Kit. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> like, so... Um, this is when Nita notices Memeki. Uh, before anything else happens, I really need something to drink. Has Doreen stolen all my sodas yet? I like this little moment. Um, and he has this back and forth a little bit with Carmela. Um, or no, with Ponch about Carmela. And I really like at some point, He's still trying to sort of like tell Carmela to leave. And I think that it's Ponch or maybe it's um, Philip. One of them says, essentially, I would bend to this wind if I were you, because I think fighting it is just going to break you. And I was like, yeah, Kit, look, you have a very strong will. And we all know that. But I got a feeling that if anybody is going to dig their heels in and really not doubt themselves at all, it's going to be Carmela. So you are not going to want to go up against her in something like this. You just don't want to do it. Just don't do it. Um, so let's see. Um, this is when she asks, how could they attack me? And then, uh, he goes and talks to Ronan and is like, what is going on? And basically the whole vibe is sorry, but 
probably this is going to happen again because I'm losing power. My bad. Didn't know it was happening this fast. And that's kind of it. That's the only answer he's really getting here. Um, so the, um, off by the former crevasse, Philip and Rochon were checking over their Mokta roofs and Ponch had run over to them in the slender figures who now stood by Philip and was fluffing up his fronds. Just look at you, said Carmela. You wore your hat all the way here. I just love the weird, like, flirtiness that she has going on with these completely alien creatures. I, I don't know. Like, this just, I love it so much. It is so delightful to me. Um, so <laughs> now here I am having some quality smooch time with my favorite doggy and you're just standing there ruining it. Bear with me while I ask one of these nice people for a spell or something to destroy you with. She glanced around. Philip, would you destroy Kit for me, please? You're such a honey. Thanks. And she went back to scratching Ponch behind the ears. I cannot. I just, I mean, what is not to like? Honestly, I'm asking. Um, so, yeah. Um, Kit got the sense from Mimiki of something much like wistfulness, like a kid who stands off to one side of the playground knowing he's about to be picked last for a game, as usual. Um, yet he also had a sense of something else, something uh, a strange and growing hope that something different was about to happen. She's terrified, Nita said silently, and not just for herself, but something else is going on too, you feel it? Uh, so Memeki calls to Kit by name, and he's sort of shocked as he realizes he's she hasn't used anybody's names. So this is already like a pretty distinct moment for her. I must go back to the city for uh for I see I am putting you all in danger, particularly Ponch. Um and she, when Ponch tries to be like, I, we can take care of you. You can stay with us. Memiki says, you care for each other. It is so strange. Somehow, though you come from so far away, you are like me. How I can't say. But there are other reasons. I must return to the grubbery. My time. And she broke off and went s silent like someone distracted by a spasm of pain. And we find out that she is going to give birth, so to speak, and get eaten alive by her young. And it's truly awful. And Nita, like, cottons on to what's going on here and begins asking her about the choices that she gets in this. And it is a really intense moment because... Time is running out. It feels like there's another attack coming. And Nita seems to really believe that if she gets Memeki to make a choice here, that somehow that will give them the edge that they need in the moment. And maybe they don't even like the, the energy I'm getting off of Nita is if she take if she makes the choice now, the fact that they're attacking us won't matter. And I'm really curious what she thinks is going to happen if Memeki makes a choice right now, because like she's behaving as if, if I don't get her to do it now, it'll be too late. But I don't see that. I could like, 
just move somewhere else and keep talking to her and there could still be some time. I don't know. I just felt like I didn't really understand Nita's like urgency here, the way that she was like approaching it and telling everybody else, wait a second, wait a second, while they're like actively freaking out that there are more of these Yaldiv coming at them, you know? Um, so let's see. Boop, boop, boop. I'm trying to find the exact spot where this conversation really starts going. Oh, and I forgot about Nina's com- Nita's conversation with Ronan. Um, this is kind of a weird one, and I really don't have like a lot of time to get into it. But the the overall like what I took away from this is essentially that maybe this being inside him is in danger because of what's going on. Um, and the advantage that they have is beginning to wear away. As soon as it realizes some of us haven't been distracted or that she has happened, which she hasn't entirely. Um, this conversation, I feel like is more just the two of them coming to terms with things that we as readers have really started to understand already if that makes sense if i'm missing something that you think i should talk about yuma by the way feel free to chime in but this conversation i will be honest it didn't really stick with me because i felt like they were repeating stuff that i knew or had already assumed um so okay i had uh, a little scare when we first got here nita said it wasn't your fault then she put a hand out and laid it on that shining carapace. Memiki shivered a little under her touch. And as for you being nothing to be afraid of, not for us, maybe, but someone else is scared. And Nita, while she's talking to Memiki and sort of sensing Memiki, is feeling the sparks of life inside Memiki that also contains sparks of the lone one. And there's a sort of malignance to them, even though they're like, they're not conscious beings as of yet, but there's a real sense of like, this has been orchestrated to be this horrible process because the lone one is just spiteful, you know? Um, so Nita is just absolutely fucking floored when she realizes exactly what's going to happen to Memeki and Memeki senses Nita's shock and is like, well, you had a mother, you know how this goes. And Nita is like, that is not how that goes for us. And Memeki says, what mother would not die for her children? And this makes Nita remember that like, her mother defended her the way that she did. It wasn't that she wasn't going to die anyway, but you know, like she did throw herself in front of Nita, but it's not the same because she chose to do that. Whereas Memeki has been put in the position where not only does she not choose her own biology, but she is called to the king and forced to mate whether she likes to or not. It's absolutely not optional. They will make her. And this is what, what Nita specifically asks. Like, uh, what do they do if you say no? And she says, they make us into meat. And there's this moment here 
with Nita thinking about the like little, um, I don't know what to call it, the little riddle, I guess, within every dewdrop, a world of struggle. And this was it, she realized. The struggles were the same. The answers were the same. This was the key. I'll be honest. I don't get that. I don't get the connection that she is making here to this moment with that rhyme. Like, I I just don't really understand to me. Like, the struggle is the same. The answers are the same. I, like, again, I thought that we were already there. I thought we knew that. And is that all that she's supposed to get from that rhyme? I thought there was going to be, like, more to it. Do you know what I mean? And it just felt sort of like, I don't know. I just, I felt a little bit let down by this because it seemed like this is a, a concept that I thought she knew of already, that we are all having to make the same choices and the same, like, basic parameters apply to all of us. I don't know. I don't know. Um. So... Basically, Nita starts like kind of yelling at Memaki about how like it does not have to be this way. You just don't know any other way, and you've been put in a position where you don't get to choose. Um, and Nita says they have no other way to be born. They have to kill. They have to kill you. She was getting angrier every moment. It was another of the Lone Power's favorite gambits, perverting the way life worked just to spite it. There might be more to it than that. Never mind that right now. Once things were different, but now you're called to the king. And this is when she asks, can you not go? And she says, no, I have to go. Um, and this is where Nita just keeps on being like, hold on, guys, hold on, hold on. And Memaki admits that she has not made her choice and actually answered the voice that is asking her to choose something different because she has never really known how to answer. And Nita knows that she absolutely has to say yes, or else everything is going to go to hell, but also that she cannot tell her to say yes, because that's not her job. And that will like take all of the meaning out of it and will screw everything in the same way as if Memaki had said no. So she is just standing there absolutely losing her shit because Memaki isn't making a decision. And... Yamana saying, it sounds bad for us because it's not how it works for humans, but there are plenty of species out there that the mother dies after giving birth. Yeah, I think that what this is supposed to be is that the fact that this is being inflicted on a creature that's conscious, like, you know, species where the mother dies after giving birth, like, there's clearly supposed to be a difference in the type of consciousness and awareness that they have. So the fact that the lone one has done this to these beings that have full like conscious lives and attachments and grieve. And, you know, it's just like meant to be an additional kind of punishment than other creatures. Because like, you know, when Nita goes and talks to, for example, the cancer cells, they can only speak in like these short bursts because their consciousness is very limited. It's there and she can communicate, but it's simply not the same. So that's my that was my assumption is that like beings that have a real consciousness usually this is not how it's supposed to go for them. But that's just my assumption, you know, it's not actually spelled out like this, so I could be very wrong about that. Um so Nita keeps trying to put it off, but they're like finally they say 
Uh, no, now, because Ronan's got the guest speaking through him, telling her, let's fucking go. They're coming five times as many as last time. Um, so we find out that Philip has set up this little thing for them to travel with. And I love Nita just being like, literally, what would we do without this guy? He is such a better senior than all of us. He is so prepared. I cannot get over it, which I really enjoyed. Um, I left an open receptor for the leash and all the mock to roof spells. Tell me the words for your end of the spell. I can chain them together. And this is when it ends with all of them just taking a step forward and vanishing. And that was where I had to stop. So I have to wrap. But yeah, um, one, one more episode booked. There are two remaining that will need to be booked for me to finish this one. Um, hopefully, eventually, y'all can find some spots, fingers crossed. Um, but yeah, I, I was glad to be able to return to this because I've been thinking about it. This one's such a weird one. They're all weird in their own very specific ways. But I wasn't ready for the kinds of like team ups that we're getting in this book. So it's really been like on my mind a little bit. And I was glad to get back and read some more of it. So um, all right. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you, Yama, so much for hanging out in the chat with me and for commissioning this. I hope you're enjoying it. And I will be seeing you all again in a little bit with a new episode. Until then, toodaloo, motherfuckers. credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.